to Jeevis Podcast, a show that celebrates women in science. My name is Vidya Narayanaswamy. I am best known for my passion and love for science. I'm sitting down with women in science to learn more about their journey, lessons learned, helpful tips that would take you one step closer to your dream. Today, we have with us Jeevis National Fellowship 2020 recipient, Gloria Novikova. Gloria is a PhD student at Icon School of Medicine, Mount Sinai. Her research focuses on applying integrative statistical methods to genomics data to study the role of innate immune system in Alzheimer's disease. Gloria, thank you so much for being with us in the show today, and we welcome you to the show. Thank you so much. Very excited to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so um, my name is Gloria. Well, you kind of mentioned it already. Um, I was born in Moldova, spent most of my adulthood in Russia. I moved here to the States when I was uh, 19. And I studied, kind of moved around a little bit. I studied chemical engineering in undergrad. Um, I first got introduced to research, I think, end of my sophomore year, my junior year. Um, and I was doing really chemical engineering heavy research, like nanowire synthesis and chemistry. Um, but I had a wonderful mentor and I really enjoyed it. Um, and then I got to also do some biomedical research. So I studied uh, bladder cancer, I worked with mouse models um, and vivo drug delivery. So the research in undergrad was really exciting and I really enjoyed it and I could totally see myself doing it. And so um, I just applied for PhD programs my senior year and just went straight for it. <laughs> I started the PhD program at Mount Sinai. And so when I got here, I was almost certain that I'm gonna keep doing cancer and keep doing mouse work. But the great thing about Mount Sinai is that we had um, rotations and we're good kind of take our time to figure out what we want to commit to. And so I took that opportunity to try uh, computational research. And I feel like the reason why I decided to try it is because I was always scared of the terminal. And so I just <laughs> I just decided to give myself a chance to, um, you know, to get over that. And I loved it. I did two rotations um, doing computational research, genomics, and I ended up staying in Dr. Allison Goat's lab, uh, where I'm mentored by her and another um, professor, uh, Dada Marcora. So, yeah, that's that's how I got to where I am, and hopefully, I'll be finishing up um, this coming year, 2021. So, how was the process of getting into Mount Sinai? I remember being very stressed, <laughs> and uh, um, and I think I put a lot of pressure on myself because. I was a national student, so I didn't really have um, a lot of leeway, right? So once you graduate, you basically have, I think it's like 60 days or something um, to get a job, otherwise you have to go back. So it was really stressful. Um, my boyfriend at the time also was looking for a job and we were trying to be together. And we were basically had a couple of cities where we, <laughs> we hoped that we end up in the same place. And so it was just a very stressful time and I worked with two labs at the same time. 
because I wanted to get published uh, in undergrad to make sure that I can secure a PhD position. So uh, it, it was it was a lot of work on uh, senior year. Well, working up to that and then applying an interview and it was very stressful. But I remember my interviews at Sinai uh, still, and I remember being very excited when I came back um, to Indiana, and I was just like. If they give me a position, I'm going there. <laughs> no matter what other what other place, I you know even if I get other other opportunities, because I just felt like they were open. They kind of openly talked about different career paths, about supporting students, about doing an internship, doing a PhD. Um, there are hundreds of different labs that you get. Well, you probably don't want to work in hundreds of labs, but <laughs> you could you could choose from, right? So you have. Uh, choice, right? And so it was just a wonderful environment. I like the idea of being working on hospitals. I could have a little bit more of understanding of kind of patient care and how our work translates uh, there. So I just loved the environment. My interviews went great, and I remember I received my admissions probably in January, February, and yeah, and I accepted it pretty much right away. So cool. that's how I ended up here. Nice. Um, how did you prepare yourself when you knew that you wanted to get into like a PhD program? What were the yeah. steps you took to prepare yourself? Yeah, so I was very intentional about um, about my research and about the milestones that I wanted to hit by the time I graduate. Again, just because I felt like I have to do more to make sure that I get into program because I'm an international student. And so I, I worked in, I don't advise you to do the same thing, but the idea is that, um, you know, I work in two different labs. And so at the same time, so I was, um, and I was very focused on getting published. And so I think one of the things that I kept coming back to, and I would talk to my PIs and I would talk to them about milestones. And I would talk to them about my grad school application and the things that I would like to have in that application, which is, you know, an authorship, presentations at conferences, right? So I would make sure that I take every possible opportunity to present within Purdue what I was going to college or outside. Um, I did a summer undergraduate research program that basically, um, that I'm absolutely grateful for. That was my kind of um, entrance into research and I had zero I knew nothing, <laughs> and somehow, you know, I networked at, 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 like, we had one of the college events, and I met this PI, yeah, and so, we, you know, he kind of, he wanted to take me to his lab, and so I, I did the summer undergraduate research program, so in terms of preparing for you, for your application, just making sure that you're intentional during your junior year and your senior year about what you want to achieve, right, and what you want to have on the application. Um, obviously, you know, the other thing that is important is what's research, but also uh, you know, presenting your research, being comfortable with what you're doing, owning your work as well, right? Because during the interviews, um, the questions are very, or at least the interviews that I had, questions are pretty in-depth about your work, mm -hmm. um, about what you understand, right, mm -hmm. about your work. And so you want to make sure that you're not just kind of doing whatever your postdoc or your PI is telling you, you want to make sure that you're reading the literature and you're just owning, even if it's a little piece of that project, which probably is it, right, in your undergrad, that you're owning that part. Yeah, so I, I, would say, I would say that was the most important thing. And then I would, I would 
involved in a lot of extracurricular activities as well. So I thought that was that was probably helpful in the application as well. But that I would say just do what uh, you know what you care about, and there are usually you know opportunities on campus or outside campus to be involved in the community. Um, and so I thought that that probably was also somewhat helpful. But yeah, that, that's that's what I would say about the prep. So, is it true to say that uh, international students have to have some, it's good to have some extra merits in hand uh, for the universities to pick you? I would say so, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And I would say so for pretty much anything. I mean, um, for finding a job, um, for getting into grad school, for getting into med school, for pretty much anything. Really, um, you have to be. Uh, you have to be better than better than the law. Not not even necessarily better, but you have to shoot higher than average. Like yep. you have to, mm-hmm. and, and people kept telling me that. Um, and people told me like it's going to be really hard for you to get on the first try. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people just kept reiterating it, right? That mm-hmm. it's going to be an uphill kind of battle to get into a good PG program as an international student, right? And so I was kind of mindful of that, and I think that put more pressure on me. It's a good thing because mm-hmm. it pushed me to work, but it's also a bad thing because I was absolutely stressed <laughs> to the point of no return. Um, but yeah, I would absolutely say so. But there are so many international students that get into these programs, get into PhD programs, get jobs here, get into medical schools. And so it's really about your dedication, about your work, you know, and so it's absolutely possible. Um, it's just you have to keep that in mind. Is that um, it definitely is harder if you're an international student. What is your most significant accomplishment to date? You know, it's funny that you ask that. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm gonna, and I'm gonna. I could give you an answer of like, you know, oh, my paper just got accepted, mm-hmm. and that yeah, feels like an anything. accomplishment, and it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually recently had this interesting epiphany. Um, I'm a, um, I'm part of this organization here in Mount Sinai, Students for Equal Opportunity in Science, and I'm a co-chair of this organization. It's a student-led um, organization that basically. Uh, you know, tries to enhance University of Mount Sinai and support the students that are here and bring more students to Mount Sinai as well. And so we do a lot of a lot of kind of different things to to you know to make sure the community is, is viable and students have support. And so one thing that we've been working on this uh, in summer and this fall is organizing this symposium, uh, symposium for underrepresented scholars. And it was. It, you know, it was supported by the uh, by the graduate school, of course, but it was a fully like student-led event, and you know we had to reach out to all of these universities and put the symposium together. And it was a whole day event, and we had um, more than two hundred students register from all over the world. Um, more than hundred students present their posters and their oral presentations. And we had an amazing um, keynote speaker, and faculty were involved, you know, in, in interacting with students during poster sessions. So it was just absolutely beautiful. And I remember during the, the symposium, I was looking at all of these uh, students, you know, they were presenting their research as minority students, and I was just 
I was just amazed how uh, how big of an effect it had on me that moment of seeing all of our faces there. Because um, I didn't really see that growing up. I didn't really see that in college. Um, and so after that event was done, like after I closed my laptop at 6.30 p.m., I just felt this huge feeling of accomplishment. Mm-hmm. It's the first time I think what I actually connected to that feeling, like, wow, that was an important accomplishment. Like I felt like we actually did something very you know, important and useful and connected with the students and gave them, um, you know, kind of the feeling that where they could be or where they want to go right and they have support and there are people that mm-hmm. have similar experiences and then look like them right in these programs and so it's not necessarily an academic accomplishment but that's the first thing that came to my mind that's for sure um that symposium was a lot of work but it absolutely paid off nice so. that's pretty cool is it true that graduate students feel like an imposter all the time. Is that a true feeling? Oh, absolutely, 100%. I heard many graduate students talk about, um, and postdocs as well, NPIs, <laughs> talk about their imposter syndrome. I feel like it's probably exacerbated in women, exacerbated in people of color. Uh, I can speak for myself that I feel like you, you almost you almost feel like a fraud you almost feel like <laughs> I'm not oh, <laughs> oh yeah I, I, yeah. I understand <laughs> absolutely you feel like I understand the fact that I'm here and the fact that I'm doing this work is complete chance and there's one and I'm one step away from being um just everything shattering because that's because I don't really deserve to be here and so I feel like a lot of people feel this way and mm-hmm. I think you know um, being at conferences where you're you know being in the rooms where you're the only woman or you're the only woman of color it always brings this feeling of just not belonging to this place I feel like I've had that for a while but I just recently started to kind of notice myself and notice what I tell myself in these moments, right? Um, where, where I feel like I should not be here, <laughs> you know? I don't think I deserve to be here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and I think a lot of us struggle, mm-hmm. um, struggle with that. Do you have any tips that helped you overcome feeling like an I, imposter? I don't think I ever overcame it. I, I, I'm, I feel like I'm definitely in the thick of it of feeling like yeah of, of feeling like i don't really belong and i don't really I, I really shouldn't be here but i would say that the big part for me and i don't know if it's similar for other people but the big part for me was that i feel like during the first three years of my phd uh, i placed a lot of my value on my science and i felt like if i never get if something happens and i don't get my phd my value disappears it just and it goes away mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that just puts that combined into the feeling like you're here just by chance like I'm here you know just because I got lucky mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh, 
and not really seeing a lot of, you know, people with a similar background or just, it, it's just, it, there's just something about it, right? When you just walk into a room and there's nobody there that looks like you and you're just out of place, yes. like the way you look, your hair, yeah. you know, it's just like anything, just the way you dress, place. the way you talk. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You're just a, just a little bit out of place. And so, and that just is just, there's always with you. And so that combined with the feeling, with the feeling that my value is completely based on my science, mm-hmm. you know, can push you to very unproductive places. And so I can't say that I overcame my imposter syndrome, not at all. But I think one thing that I started to kind of work on is try to identify my own resources that are beyond science and by resources i mean my mental resources you know the resources of my being right what are some of the things that i can lean on if every if all of this is taken away from me the papers and the presentations and you know if all of this is taken away from me what is left right because there's a lot left <laughs> and i think yes. we don't yes. we don't necessarily think about it uh-huh. right we, uh-huh. Uh, we put ourselves into this, like, I have to be PhD, and then I have to be this, and I have to be that, and I'm a scientist, and, um, you know, and then you just become a scientist, and yeah. you forget about all these other parts of you that, that were there way before mm-hmm. I even got interested in research, right? Yep. And so I think connecting to that, right, connecting to the core of your being, what are you, what value do you bring to this world, right, what value do you bring, uh, to the people around you, right? To, to your loved ones, to your family, to just strangers in the street, right? Strangers that you meet. Um, I think that helps me a little bit, just feeling more connected to the world and not being so stuck on this little bubble that I'm in, right? Where mm-hmm. everything seems so important. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it's really probably not that important. Yeah. So. <laughs> that, that's a very good tip. You need to know the value that you can bring to the world. That's a very, very good tip. Very good tip. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think think a lot of us struggle with that. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of us struggle with that, especially, you know, when we put in a place where we're, I mean, science is that, right? We ask questions, we criticize each other, right? That is, you know, there are really productive ways of doing that and that's great. But there has to be a balance, right? And we have to keep ourselves in check, right? And not put everything on the line right and put all of our value on the line and have everything depend on the fact that we get a postdoc or we publish a paper or we get a grant or we become a pi right because that's just uh these things just go away yeah they're not <laughs> they're not here to stay <laughs> so it's not a really good thing to to lean against right you want to lean against something that is sturdy Right, and so identifying the things that I'm studying Absolutely. is a little bit of work, but it, it just it, every inch just makes you feel more grounded, and you kind of discover bigger meaning behind your everyday life, right? Mm-hmm. Except mm-hmm. just like coding all day, what I'm doing, <laughs> and celebrating your success, even it's it doesn't matter how small your success is, you just celebrate every minute. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Just being in a, in a moment when yeah. you know, because I feel like. I do that a lot, right? Is that you achieve something, then you're looking for the next thing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you don't spend time in the moment appreciating just what you have or what you just achieved, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. uh, the moment you achieve something, you're just like, okay, <laughs> what's the next? Step? <laughs> yeah, what's the next thing on my list. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
Um, and you just, yeah, we just don't really spend time doing that. And so, yeah, rewarding yourself in a productive way is absolutely important. That's absolutely critical. So I had to learn that, like, my reward system was not particularly good. Like, I would reward myself with cake and candy. I love cake. <laughs> it's just, it's just, at some point, it starts, you know, when you're in your teen years, it's fine. <laughs> Once you get to a more... Um, you know, uh, to a different age, let's say that, that, uh, that starts really catching up to you. So, but um, well, to me, good. it's like, I never feel, you know, when, when I, while I eat, I feel like I'm rewarding myself, but I don't feel good after that. <laughs> like if I eat half a cake, I'll feel good while I do it. After that, no. it's just Mm-mm. agony, like mm-hmm. I don't feel good. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so uh, yeah, so you all have to learn reward systems for yourself, like right, like celebrating yourself in a productive way, rewarding yourself in a way that replenishes you, right, and mm-hmm. doesn't deplete you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. All right. So on to our next question. Do you have any helpful tips on how you could effectively deal with stress? Meditation. <laughs> Meditation meditate people that is tip number one meditate i was progressing on it um till the till the time when i felt like i couldn't progress anymore like to the time when i got myself to a point when i felt like my reserves are at zero like i was just so tired i wake up i'm tired i go to bed i'm tired (laughs) i was just always tired Um, I'm still pretty tired, but I should say was. I'm still, I'm still pretty tired. I mean, you um, go through these nocturnal periods during graduate school, so absolutely, absolutely, and it and it drains you. And a lot of it, it's also, you know, usually when you go into grad school, you're you're probably in your late twenties, early thirties. There are a lot of things that are going on during these times, right? Mm-hmm. Um, PhD is also it's not only like your journey of science; it's also a journey of your life. Love. There are a lot of things that are happening in these four seven years, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and you're you're growing. You're like for me, you're growing it from kind of girlhood into your womanhood. You're learning about yourself. You're mm-hmm know uh, you struggle and it, it's just a journey and um, I, I found that I was just so stressed and I mean there are obviously a lot of different layers to this right like I also you know I couldn't really go home right since I started my PhD because of like immigration stuff and I was worried you know if I go back uh, I'm not gonna get my visa renewed and stuff like that so I was like, okay, I'm just going to finish my PhD and then I go home. Uh, so this feeling of being stuck, right? And not really, I mean, so my parents come and visit, right? But mm-hmm. I cannot really see my grandma, for example, yes. and my aunts and my uncles and mm-hmm. you know, my friends don't really have the means to come. So it's that. And then just the amount of stress that we put on ourselves and the pressure and the expectation. Yeah. I feel like the expectation is just the yeah. enemy. Uh-huh. <laughs> the enemy of joy uh-huh. are expectations. Uh-huh. And yeah, and it's just, you know, we put all of these, like we draw all of these pictures of what we want our life to be or where we want to go and what we think would be good for us. And then we're just absolutely stressed uh-huh. and unhappy. Uh-huh. Um, and I think I found myself in that situation where I even remember, like, the, I had, like, I don't, don't want to say 
breakdown, but it was a low point. I had to like go so low to realize how unhappy I was. <laughs> that I was just sitting on my couch and I was just bawling. And my husband was like, what's going on? I thought you're doing great. You're doing PC, you're writing a paper, you're doing all these presentations. I got things are going great. And I'm just depleted. Oh. And so that was the time when I said like, I just, pushed myself I feel like by my kind of negligence to myself really Mm -hmm. I got pushed into finding ways to deal with everyday stress right and just the pressure Mm -hmm. Um, and one thing is meditation absolutely and even if it's not you know a lot of people hear meditation they think you have to like you know (laughs) chanting stuff (laughs) but but really but really what meditation is for me is I just sit still mm-hmm. for 30 minutes a day mm-hmm. in silence with nobody touching me. Mm-hmm. I just sit with my thoughts. I do it usually in the morning and I just set my day, you know, with the intention to be kind to myself and to other people, to be compassionate to myself and other people, right? To take things as they come and not try to control life, especially in this moment, mm-hmm. right? Where mm-hmm. things are just out of control (laughs) yes absolutely so that's one thing the other thing for me was um just finding something that brings you joy Mm -hmm. and it's it's, sometimes it's hard to do so i think i was at one of our calls with scos and i chair she was like okay let us all write down 50 things i'm sorry five zero 50 things that bring us joy Mm -hmm. And I was just sitting there, and I couldn't write one. Oh no! I couldn't write a single thing. Oh no! And and yeah, and so that was like, this, I'm like describing that time, like oh. those couple months when I came to realizations, like, oh my god, I am unhappy actually. <laughs> like I am, I'm not in a good place. And so I had to, you know, work with myself and try to find things that bring me joy, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. For some of us, it's a musical instrument, right? Like, I love piano. It takes, I used to play when I was little, and now it's kind of frustrating because you forgot a lot of uh-huh. what I used to know when I was little, and you sit down, you're like, I am not good. And it, it's, it's so frustrating. You just like, you sit down and you try to read the music, and you just like, I fr- you just forgot all these things, and it is really frustrating. But I love piano, mm-hmm. uh, I just love it. Um, there's nothing like a piano for me. So, you know, I listen to music. I try to make myself play. Um, climbing is another thing. So I love to climb. And I think, I think I'm kind of making up for the fact that like PG is a really long marathon and a climb is like, I don't know. Depends how good you are and how how hard the, the climb is. <laughs> but, you know, two ten minutes. I know. And so I just absolutely love it. And so um, I got forcing myself to kind of like have like at least two days a week that I can go and climb. Um, you know, because I climb, I look at the route, and I'm like, okay. And the only thing I'm thinking about in that moment is how to get to the top. And just getting to the top gives you some 
gives me a little bit of this, I guess, reassurance or something mm-hmm. is complete now. You know? mm-hmm. So my PhD is not complete, <laughs> but, but I just completed this, this this climbing route, so I feel a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, just I love singing, uh, dancing brings me so much joy. So mm-hmm. um, my husband and I, when when it was a little bit um, warmer. People used to dance in Central Park, so there was um, there was like this really cool DJs and people would mm. um, uh, people would just get together and people would just dance. I mean, everybody with masks and stuff, but it was just like in the street in Central Park. <laughs> and so um, so we went there and we danced. It was just amazing. So so I, so yeah, like finding these things that just make you joyful mm-hmm. and kind of going away from things that take the frustration or the pain away for a little bit. And that would be like, I mean, I go out for drinks and I like it, but drinking is probably not a, not a, not a productive way. Like, I mean, you feel better, but, but then you feel worse the next morning. Yes. <laughs> so, so absolutely, so finding productive ways. You know, for, for some of us, I feel like for a lot of grad students as well, therapy is another way to take care of yourself, right? But yeah, just, just finding these things, right? Finding these little things. Like for me, you know, I wake up in the morning. I try to wake up first, right? So just to have a little bit of silence in the morning. And I just like pour myself a glass of water and I just sit and I just give myself five minutes to drink a glass of water and just look at my window and just give, just, just breathe for a little bit. And that feels like taking care of myself. So just finding these these moments where you feel like, okay, I think doing this makes me feel like I take care of myself in a like holistic, authentic way, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's a little bit hard, but once you find those ways, it just just changes the way your day goes. Yep. So yep. finding joy in smaller things. Yes. Absolutely. Trees, you know. Anything. And and, and yeah, and just people. Yep. I just people being nice. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I don't like the word nice, but I think kind is a better word. But yeah, just, you know, like I was remember I was going to, um, who I was going, I think I was going for a hike or something. And I was out in the street like 6 a.m. because I had to get to the train. And I was walking and there were these guys in the, uh, in the truck. I think they were moving, moving something around here. And it's super early, there are not too many people in the street. And they were just so happy and they just like looked out of the window. They're like, Good morning, miss, how are you doing? And I was like, I'm doing great. <laughs> how are you guys today? You know? And just noticing these little things, right? Like because all of us have them. And so once you start noticing them, your day goes by a little bit better than it used to. Perfect. I think that's very important to look back and enjoy those. Again, going back to those little moments that give you joy. How do you deal with failure or disappointment? So there might be varying phases where, you know, your experiment fails or it didn't go as planned. Do you have any tips for future graduate students to deal with those kind of situations? I struggle with that a lot for various reasons. So. I feel like for me, this dealing with with failure is again, I think, mismatched mismatch expectations sometimes, right? You're expecting something to go great and it just blows up in your face. Mm-hmm. 
but it's also for me this necessity to be perfect it's this um, feeling that if I'm not perfect or if I'm not great then then something is wrong right this this malignant perfectionism that I think academia and I haven't really worked in the industry so I don't know how it is in the industry but I feel like that academia kind of feeds and perpetuates a little bit making us feel like making mistakes is not okay yeah it's it's a really tough one I feel like it's important to realize that whatever that failure is right so you know and in research it, it can feel as devastating as you know feeling your loved one right and in certain way for for some people right like you you know you prepared your experiment for months you thought it's going to work and then it just doesn't mm-hmm. you know and everything just goes just doesn't work out mm-hmm. right and just life is doing life you know and you're just standing there and just i worked so hard and it's just not working out mm-hmm. and so i think one of the important things that i'm trying to to you know to learn to deal with this is that realizing that your failure is not a reflection of who you are and your failure is not a reflection of your value mm-hmm. and i think we keep getting back to that to right to realization of your value but i think a lot of us are i am afraid right of failing or making a huge mistake right in my research right my work is because i think that suddenly mm-hmm. everybody will think like i'm just a dumbass, you know, and just, and it's going to be over, right, because I base a lot of what I feel I bring to the world into the work that I do, right, and so I think taking attention from that will, will make you feel like, okay, I failed, I take it, right, accept it, you look at why it happened and you try to learn from it whatever it is if it's failure in your research or if it's failure in your uh, personal life which is as important while you're doing your PhD as as your research right um, and I also think that you know failure is a really beautiful opportunity to learn mm-hmm. because I think when we fail we open up in a way that we yes. don't when we constantly succeed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right agree failure really humbles us mm-hmm. right and it just opens up a place of opportunity right mm-hmm. to move to learn something about yourself about the world about the people around you and so i think just learning to trust that and learning to trust that this failure may be actually you know it feels like a failure now but it might be in your benefit at the end of the day mm-hmm. and so that's how i'm trying to think about it is that You know, I heard this interesting phrase. Um, I probably, I'm probably totally butchering, but something like, "Imagine if the universe is not conspiring against you, mm-hmm. but for you. Imagine the universe is actually trying to help you." Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I'm trying to see these moments where I feel like I'm failing or I'm just not doing well, as moments of reflection, right? And moments of like, okay, there's some, like for example, you know, I had this big presentation. And I was preparing, I was making slides, and it was, you know, giant conference, it's an oral presentation, and I just, you know, put so much pressure on myself. And then, and I'm like, okay, I have total control, I practice this, it's gonna be great. And then we, we start the presentation, well, we test with the group, with the 
uh, with the audio people, right? We test everything, great. You know, I look fly, good. Everything's amazing, <laughs> okay? And then the moment they click live, <laughs> and they say, no, Gloria is going to present our work. <laughs> everything goes wrong. <laughs> and I don't know what it was, was it right? I have no idea what it was. Mm-hmm. But my sound, my sound probably disappeared for like half of my presentation. Then they had to put away the the, the video. It was just a disaster. Mm-hmm. And I was, <laughs> I somehow got to the end of that presentation. The Q and A, I just they asked me a question. I could hear it. I think I came back like that minute. And then when I started re- just replying to the question, I disappeared again. <laughs> it was, it was, <laughs> it was just. <laughs> It was just the epitome of things going absolutely wrong. So I think you know after after it was done after you know I, I finished my session, there's obviously this unsettling feeling of like, how come you know I worked so hard for this I got this presentation how come this happening in this moment right and it's just this you know this frustration and blaming yourself that I probably did something wrong you know. But then you know this kind of the first the first uh, the feelings and then after that I kind of you know that once I was telling to my husband I laughed so hard I was like I cannot believe this is happening <laughs> it was just so funny and I feel like in that moment through that experience I opened up a little bit more mm-hmm. I let go a little bit of the always being cool always looking fly always being on top of my game you know mm-hmm. I just let go a little bit and just let things fail if they have to fail. It's gonna be all right. It's it, most likely it's going to be all right. Mm-hmm. So just 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 let them fail, and you'll probably be better on the other side and stronger on the other side. If you could, what is the one thing that you would have changed about your academic experience so far? I think one thing that I would change, and it's probably not academic experience I think one thing that I would change in for my PhD experience I think I would just take better care of myself mm-hmm. uh, from the beginning so not at the time when I'm already just like destroyed <laughs> and then like okay I think something needs to happen um, but being aware enough that to, to take care of myself mm-hmm. for the first three years of my PhD mm-hmm. I think I would, yeah if I could change something I would do that On the other hand, I kind of feel like I wouldn't have learned that unless I hit the bottom. So, <laughs> so, so I think the question of like, well, you have changed, it's like, yeah, I guess I would do that, but would I? Where, where would that awareness and that capacity top come from, right? If I didn't, if I was on the bottom before. So yeah, so that that's kind of that's kind of what I say. I would want to take care of myself better if I could do do it again, mm-hmm. but. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's just the path. It's just, it's just the way I had to learn it. Right? Yeah, cool. Well, we're gonna go into our lightning round. So oh, wow. You okay. have to, you have to answer quick without thinking so much. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm gonna try real hard. <laughs> so they are fun questions. Okay. So here we go. Name the cheapest donut shop near you. Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. What is your most favorite functionality in any software? Ease of use, absolute ease. Taking all of the work away from me and doing all the work for me. 
that's 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 what I'd like. My favorite one is copy paste. <laughs> if you could time travel, where would you be now? I would really want to meet impressionists like Monet. So that would be, I guess, like the 19th century, right? Uh huh. End of end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th mm-hmm. century. That's that's what I would go. It probably wouldn't be too good for me there, but uh, <laughs> I, I would go there <laughs> just to meet those people. <laughs> oh, okay. If you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who would it be and why? It would be my mom. Why? Um, <laughs> because I guess it's getting deeper than, than we wanted to, but um, <laughs> guys, I feel, <laughs> I feel like you know the. the Daughter-mother relationships are really usually pr- pretty hard, so I would love to live in my mom's shoes for a day to actually figure out how she goes uh, about her day and to, uh, yeah, just to just to get to know her at a, at a different level than I know her as a daughter. That is such um, a sweet um, answer. That's the sweetest <laughs> answer anybody gave me. Okay, an insanely useful website for for grad students. Well, so I I don't know if it's a website, but Feedly. So it's kind of a website, but um, I use it for paper suggestions. Mm-hmm. So you basically put in whatever whatever keywords, definitely really organizes nicely, and I can just go on it every day and just see, you know, the new stuff that came up in my, uh, you know, in my. Uh, so yeah, that, I would say for grad students, that would be that would be one. Nice. Your favorite citation style for academic writing. You're asking very, very complicated questions. I use Paperpile, and in Paperpile, you can just pick the journal that you're submitting to, and it and it, it formats the citation for you. So the other answer is I don't know. Okay. Whatever journal I'm submitting to, I'm clicking on Paperpile, and it does it for me. Cool. What would you do on Mars for fun? On Mars for fun. I guess I would do these, um, uh, you know, these cool not bikes, but kind of like a four-wheel. Uh huh. Yeah, I would do that. You oh, kidding me? Nice. That is so, be so cool. much fun. I don't, I don't know if it would be fun to do it in home. Like, <laughs> yeah. If if I could do it, I would do that. Would you rather be a leader or a follower? It depends. If I can offer constructive, productive leadership, then I would be a leader. But if I see a person that has, you know, can offer that better than I can, that I'm okay being a follower. Good answer. Describe yourself in three words. Open. I would say funny. I'm pretty fun. I think. <laughs> Maybe not. I guess the other one would be uh, human. I'm very human. Nice. Yes. I, I love that human part. Very good. Cool. <laughs> what does a person need to be happy? Uh, there's nothing external that you need to be happy. I think absolutely everything to be happy is within you. Yes. Just, just where you're at right now, you uh-huh. can be happy. Perfect answer. Last question. Favorite icebreaker idea? I can tell you my least favorite icebreaker idea. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not doing this language <laughs> well, but I, I just want some 
don't really like icebreaker. Okay, least favorite icebreaker idea. Fun fact about you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's the only one everybody ever gives. Okay, that was the end of our lightning round. Great, I'm happy that it's over. <laughs> I'm, I'm more, more of a long talking, kind of person. <laughs> so, do you have any advice for potential graduate students or current graduate students? One thing is, of course, just be. Just be cognizant and honest with yourself about red flags. That's the first thing to tell everybody that starts a PhD that before they join the lab, you know, just be, you know, listen to yourself. If you see something that is off, it's probably off. So don't think it's not going to happen to you. If it happened to somebody before you, it will definitely happen to you or most definitely will happen to you. So that would be one. The other one is, as I said before, PhD is a marathon. So try to stay try to stay connected to your reason to be here and for your intention to be here and that will kind of help you through the process right to make sure that you remember why you're, why you're there you know and if at some point you think you shouldn't be there anymore totally fine that you don't want to be there anymore because things change while you know while we're on this journey mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess we also talked about, you know, taking care of yourself. I think that's one of the most important things, right? Just mm-hmm. make sure to take care of yourself in the most, you know, authentic and holistic way as it feels to you, right? To make sure that you're, you're living life, you know? I think that's one thing that I realized is that I was not living life for the first three years of my PhD. I was just doing my PhD and that was my life. And that's really sad because, you know, our time here is pretty limited and you want to make sure that we use it well. So, you know, just treat your PhD as a job, do it, you know, like nine to five, whatever, but then make sure that you have time for your loved ones, you have time for yourself, you know, you have time for things that that bring you joy and bring you happiness. There's a lot of advice, but I guess that, that would be the top. That would be some of the things that come that come to my mind when I think about my experience and grad school and other and other students that were with me well thank you so much for being with us and sharing all this wonderful experience your life experience with us and you've taught all our listeners that phd is not a destination but it's a journey that has to be enjoyed every moment (laughs) has to be felt and enjoyed Um, thank you for all that advice and time. I wish you the best in all your future prospects. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. It was, it was great talking to you. It was hopefully, wonderful you know, talking hopefully to you. Hopefully it will be useful uh, to some people who have been listening. Most of these graduate students are at least one step ahead of where they were before, so. Which yeah, is important. I, I wish I heard, I wish I listened to some to, to, to somebody <laughs> before, you know, just some as had a little bit more in-depth conversation with grad students, right, before I got myself yeah. into the same place where everybody else is at, like their fourth year, the dip of the fourth year. But, so I, I really hope that some of the things would be useful. But as you said, without your life experience, you're not you. So yeah, exactly. If you would yeah, have changed so, so, so. anything, you're not yeah. Gloria Novikova that we know. 
Signing off.